0: Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Hey, good to see you. All right. That was some good music right there. I was kind of getting into that over there. I'm so pumped about next Sunday night with the youth, and young adults kicking off. Kyle is going to be leading that ministry, and he's an amazing man of God, and he just has so much to, to offer. and um, I'll be there too partying and acting immature. As a good lead pastor should do at the youth events is totally get in there with the youth and eat all the pizza and be like, "Why did not you buy enough?" Kyle) But uh, hey, so good to see you guys. Uh, this is an awesome day. How many of you enjoyed being in God's presence during worship? I love to just come in on Sunday mornings and get refreshed and refilled. But you know, how many of you know that with worship, we don't worship as, as a response to how we feel. We don't worship as a response to what's happening in our life. We worship as a response to the reality of who God is, right? Uh, we believe, as a good Christian church should, that there is a God, number one. We believe that He's good. We believe that He sent His Son Jesus into the world to to die for our sins and and give us life. And we respond to who God is in in our lives. Whether we're having a good day, a bad day, a good week, a bad week, that doesn't matter because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we worship as a response. And we sang that song this morning, You Can Have It All. I love that song, You Can Have It All, Lord, Every Part of of My World. And that goes so well with what we're going to be talking about this morning. We're in a series, and Bethany did a great job kicking it off last week. How many of you got something out of last week hearing Bethany uh, preach? I can't let her preach that much because she's way better than me and way prettier, right? Which, guys, just a a hint, marry a woman who's prettier than you, right? Because otherwise you you have an issue. Anyways, but my wife is beautiful. She's incredible, and I listen to her message, and I'm like, oh, man, I got to study this week because I can't just wing it this week. She, She did too good. Uh, she's incredible, and, and how many of you really felt the Lord spoke to you in that message last week, the first week of our series, Dangerous Prayers? Search me, right? God, search me, know me, and uh, that's a powerful message, and we really believe that in the three weeks of this series called Dangerous Prayers, that these messages have the potential to be an anchor message in your life. What does that mean, an anchor message? It means this, that it's a message that you look back on. It's a moment, an encounter with God. You look back on that and you say, I've never been the same since God spoke that to me. Uh, Since I prayed that prayer, God searched me. Today, the prayer is this, and it's, are you ready for it? Because it's dangerous. You ready for the danger zone? Now you're in. Okay. It's called break me. Say break me. Break me. If you were at the Ducks game like me last night, you got to live this out in real time. God, break me. Our, 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 we were humbled by those dogs. Anyways, God, break me. It's our second week of the Dangerous Prayer series. We're going to talk about this prayer, break me. And I, I really believe that this message today has the potential to be an anchor message in your life. Where you look back and you say, I prayed this prayer To whatever degree I could actually pray with honesty and sincerity. And I I prayed this prayer and what God did in my life was something very unique, something very special. It's an anchor moment. And this prayer out of the three that we're going to talk about in this series, finishing up next week, is the most dangerous prayer. Break me. God, break me. You know, this prayer right here is one that I want to just warn you right up front. You might not be able to pray this today. I mean, I'm serious. You might not be in a position in your life where where you're ready to just go full out, break me, God, Uh, empty me of my pride, break me of my self-reliance, break me of my insecurity. You might not be ready, but but there's stages of of what we can pray. But this is definitely the most dangerous of the prayers. Because I believe that when we pray, God hears us, right? So if I say, God, break me, He's answering that prayer. And I better be ready for what happens and what comes. How many of you are danger people? Like, how many of you, you have to be able to die to have fun? Anybody? Matt? Okay, I knew that about him. You know, like, danger people, you're not happy unless you could be dying. So if there's, like, people are jumping off of rocks, it has to be 200 feet tall, right? They're like, well, I'd love to jump off the Empire State Building into a river. You know, my friends would always talk. They'd be like, hey, we're going to go have fun. What are we doing? Going to see a movie? No, we're going to go jump off a bridge. Peace. Deuces. I'm not a danger person, but some of you are... Are like not happy unless you could die in the activity. Um, How many of you would like have actually jumped out of an airplane? Anybody jumped out of a perfectly good airplane? Okay, so those are the danger people. You're not supposed to jump out, right? There's a reason they're designed that way. You're supposed to go in it and go to the place you're going and then land and then get off. Thank you, sir, for getting us here safely. I like, we get on an airplane, we just went on a trip, and I get on the airplane and I'm like, oh God, Jesus, please, <laughs> Heavenly Father, oh Lord, I'm like praying in tongues, Jesus, <laughs> like I'm praying over the airplane because I'm freaked out of even flying, right? I'm like white knuckling it in the plane. And then some of you are like, you want to jump out. You're a danger person. So this is your prayer. This prayer might be for you. You know, you, you just, it has to be a risk. It has to be dangerous. But, you know, this prayer, Break Me, is really inconsistent with this view of Christianity that says, all God wants to do is make me happy. All God wants to do is make my life better. All God wants to do is make my life easier. Let me just tell you right now that if you come and you encounter Jesus Christ and you become a follower of Jesus, your life is not going to necessarily be easier. It'll simply be filled with life and joy and peace even through the moments that are difficult and hard. There's a scripture in the Bible that says it rains on the just and the unjust, meaning bad things happen to good people and bad people. Somebody was talking about the movie God's Not Dead, and I go, I don't like that movie. And They're like, really? You're a Christian. You have to like it. I'm like, I don't like it because the atheist dies at the end, right? And it sort of like says the movie, it's a great movie. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's some good stuff in it, just in case I'm offending anybody. Uh, but, but it's not really accurate. Like it could have been just as accurate for the pastor to get hit by a car and die, right? Because good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. And that's how life is, right? And you know, this version of Christianity that says all God wants to do, if you come to church and you get your life right and cleaned up, then all that's going to happen is all good stuff. That's called karma. That's not Christianity, right? Right? And so this prayer, break me, it, sort of, it sort of gives us another perspective, another insight into what God is after. God is after creating the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, inside of us. God is after the, the, the absolute breaking down so that we can be rebuilt of our souls, of our inmost desires. God wants to change us at a core level because we are broken because of sin. And so, this version of Christianity that says if I go to church, everything just gets better is not, a re- it's not realistic. It's just not. But let me just tell you this right now that, that the God that you can encounter, even through the breaking moments, is worth knowing and worth following and worth serving. Have you ever had a, a breaking moment, a moment where you just got broken? I remember my parents, I was kind of, a, of I went through a little awkward phase between like, you know, 10 and 30. And so my parents were like, you know, we want to get Jake some physical exercise, so they had me do Kenpo class, which is karate, but on steroids. (laughs) Anybody familiar with that? (laughs) Martial arts, just fighting people, you know? And uh, anyways, martial arts are ridiculous to me for some reason, I just laugh, uh, maybe because of the karate movies and things, but my parents put me in Kenpo class, and the teacher was like an ex-Navy SEAL guy who likes to, you know, put moose urine on his face and climb trees and kill animals with his bare hands, you know. And so he has a bunch of like seven and eight year olds in his class, and he lines us up like, "You're fat, you're lazy, you suck," you know. And I'm like, I just want to learn how to kill somebody with a karate chop, you know. And he's like, "That's not what it's about. What we're going to do first is work your flabby little bodies," you know. And this man was just like, he was like, he was like major pain, right? He was general pain. And my parents decided that they were going to put me in this man's class. Thanks, mom and dad. And so his whole purpose was to break us down, you know? To render us into moldable seven-year-olds so we could learn the dangerous arts of Kenpo. I don't have any moment, I don't have any range of motion in this coat. Anyways, otherwise I do backflips and stuff. Cause... But his whole purpose was to break us down. And I remember one day at Kenpo class, he wasn't teaching us any like karate kicks and stuff. He was like, you need to run in circles around the room. And so here I am. I have like sweatpants. It's the 90s. I'm running in circles. I'm, I'm slightly husky. And finally, I'm like, I need to stop. <gasps> and he's like, yeah, you need to be broken. And he's like, you need to do a wall sit. And I'm like, what's a wall sit? Why? That's what chairs are for. And he puts me up against the wall. And I'm like there. And I'm like, ah! and finally, I quit. You know, and he, he, he broke me. I never learned anything. I can't karate chop anybody. If I get attacked, you know, I have no, I don't have any kempo. And we found out later this guy was actually a lunatic. He got mad at a pastor and hid, listen to this, this is a true story, he hid across the street in the woods with a sniper rifle. And watched the guy for like three days thinking about shooting him. That was my kempo teacher. He's a real man. He's out there. We're not going to put this online, just in case this gets out. He will remain unnamed. A breaking moment. I had a I had a pastor. He was just an incredible man of God. His name was Pastor John Gomez. And I will love this man until the day that I die and after when I see him in heaven. He's just an incredible man of God. He's from L.A. He had a very strong, hey, vato, you know, that kind of accent. And his nickname in church, not pre-church, not pre-Christ, no, post-Christ, after becoming a Christian was the Shanker. So if that tells you anything about his mentality... And he was my intern director. So here I come. I'm 16, 17 years old. I'm cocky. A pastor's kid coming. I think I know everything. You know, I don't, you know, no, I'm not going to clean a toilet. I want to preach. Like, you know, and he's like, I'm going to break you. And he even said multiple times, God is going to break you. And Pastor John's mission in life was to break me down. Now, luckily, he wasn't crazy like my Kempo teacher. (laughs) He actually had a heart of love. And I remember one day that we were shouting at each other in the church parking lot down in Medford, like face to face, because he's like, you're lazy. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I've been doing all this stuff. And we're shouting back and forth. But the Shanker, he, he was uh, sent by God, put in my life to help break the aspects and areas of my character down that needed to be broken down so that God could use me to serve other people and make a difference, right? And we're gonna talk more about this. But have you ever had a breaking moment? Have you ever had a person in your life that broke you down? And sometimes they mean you well and sometimes they don't. But either way you can get something out of it, right? A breaking moment. You know, it depends on your view of God. We kinda of talked about this, your view of, of Christianity. This question is is God safe? And I think a lot of us, like me, I kind of have a problem with danger. I don't want to take risks. And so this question is, is God safe? The answer is no. God is not safe. A relationship with God is not safe. You're going to go on an adventure. How many of you like the story of the Hobbit? Bilbo Baggins, he runs out of his Hobbit hole, and he's, he doesn't have his favorite scarf, and he doesn't have his towels, and he doesn't have the things that he needs to have this comfortable life, but he's called to go out on an adventure At the end of your life, you're not going to go, oh, I'm glad I played it safe. You're going to say, I'm glad I went on the adventure that God called me to. I'm glad I I served and sacrificed and lived a a bold life, a daring life. Is God safe? No. But He's good. He intends the best for you. Even the things that hurt, even the things that break you, even the things that, that, that wound you, God is working for your benefit through all of these things. Is He safe? No, but He's good. C.S. Lewis, he wrote The Chronicles of Narnia, which if you've never read it and you think it's just a book for kids, read it as an adult and you'll be blown away by how much there is inside. It's absolutely laden and potent with, with truth and incredible things. And in the story of Narnia, there's the, the four Pevensey children. I don't know if you ever knew their last names, but it's the best British last name ever. Pevensey, I say. Good well, bye. <laughs> and the Pevensey children are uh, Peter and Edmund and Susan and Lucy, and they're in Narnia, and there's a talking beaver. Don't ask me why there's a talking beaver, but there is. And, and, and they begin to talk about Aslan, and Aslan's coming, Aslan's on the move, and there's all this stuff about Aslan, and they don't know who Aslan is. And so they begin to ask questions to the beavers, and the beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe? said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course, he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. There's a holy fear that comes when you ponder the God of heaven and earth, the same God that had the power, the potency to cast the stars into the sky and ignite life, ignite everything that we see around us, the same God that has the power, I mean, this power is, it's not safe, right? But the thing about God is that His innermost nature, the intrinsic quality of who He is, is that He is love. He is good. He is absolutely not safe. Aslan is a lion. We sing a song here about Jesus. Our God is the the lion, the lion of Judah. Our God is the lamb, the lamb that was slain. Aslan is the lion. It represents Jesus. Is He safe? No, He's not safe, but He's good. This morning, as we look at this prayer, I want to go into the scripture and look at two stories that take place in the same chapter of Mark, in Mark chapter fourteen. And the first story is a story of a prostitute. It's a woman that has lived her life in shame and disgust. You know, at this time, and I suppose it's exactly the same now. You don't, little girls don't. You know, say when I grow up, I want to be a prostitute. And and at this time in history, it's just basically the lowest level. Of subsistence existence that this this woman has found herself in, where she has to sell herself to pay the bills, to keep herself and maybe her children, or however her life is. We don't have that many details about her, but she's a prostitute, and she's been she's obviously she's despised by women, and she's used and abused by men. But Jesus encounters her. She begins to to meet this person Jesus, or hears about him, or something, and she does something pretty remarkable. She comes in. To a place that jesus is at and something about jesus opens up her heart opens up her life because he showed her respect he showed her dignity he loved her and it says in mark chapter 14 verse 3 while jesus was in bethany reclining at the table in the home of simon the leper a woman came with an alabaster jar a very expensive perfume made of pure nard and she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head now what you need to understand about this perfume is that this was Her livelihood, and I'll explain this, that you didn't just wear perfume. It wasn't like today. You just go down to the store and buy some perfume. Maybe it's $150 or $45, whatever, but it's not your your whole life. But for this prostitute, the, the perfume, what it was, was she would wear it, and then when you were walking through a crowd and you sniffed it, the guys would go, oh, I see who you are. You're available. Does that make sense? This was how she operated. It was what she used to to let people know. It was very, very expensive. It was a particular scent, and it was her calling card to say, hey, this is who I am. This is what I do. And she used it to attract men. It was incredibly, incredibly expensive. In fact, we find out that this perfume that she broke and poured on the person of Jesus was actually equivalent to a year's worth of wages. So I want you to think about what you make in a year, and Maybe just take a middle class, maybe let's say, let's just throw a, a, a figure on it, 35, dollars dollars $50,000. But one act of worship that she broke and poured on Jesus. And some of the people there, they freaked out. They were like, oh my gosh, even some of Jesus' disciples, that was just a year's worth of wages. That was just poured out, like wasted. And they were freaked out. I mean, I, I could imagine doing the same thing, being there like, uh... Hey, we got a grand opening campaign going on. You could give some, you know, half. I mean, like worship is good. And we, you know, yeah, Jesus is worth, but maybe like put some money in the offering. Right. How many of you would kind of think this way? Right. I mean, this was just, but it was this extravagant act of worship. And, you know, think about that song, God, you can have it all. What was she doing here? She was pouring everything she had, this gift that she gave, it represented her past, her sinfulness. It represented who she was. It was all of her identity. She was coming out. I mean, that smell that filled that room, every single man and every single woman that were present would have known exactly who she was, where she, why she had that, and what it was. It was her past, and she poured it out to God. She was broken. She broke it and poured. Broken and poured. And every thing that she gave, it wasn't just her past and leaving that sinful life and Accepting Christ, but it also represented her future. It was her savings. It was her provision. It was the way that she earned a living. She gave it away in one act of extravagant worship, broken and poured. She didn't just pour some of it, she poured all of it. She she broke it all. And you know what Jesus said? He said, Listen, this is beautiful. You know, Jesus looks at brokenness and he says, It's beautiful the brokenness that she exhibited. He said, it's so beautiful. In fact, everywhere the gospel is preached, and this is an amazing prophetic word because we're literally experiencing it right now today. Everywhere the gospel is preached, everywhere the good news is given, people will, will hear this story about her act of worship. Here we are today, 2,000 plus years later, listening to the story of one lady and one act of worship. And right now, we're hearing that story and it's impacting us. Jesus gave that prophetic word. Everywhere the gospel is preached, brokenness, brokenness, broken and poured, made a difference, makes an impact. And the second story is Mark chapter 14. It's the same chapter. It's the, what we call the Last Supper where Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. It says in Mark chapter 14, verse 22, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. And then he broke it In pieces "...and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many." Luke, in chapter 22, recounts the same story. It says, "...and Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me." What's happening here, again, is brokenness. And Jesus is giving them the, the bread and the wine, and he's saying, you need to associate what this is going to be. We, we take communion as a church. We haven't done it in a little while, but we, we're going to do it at groups, or at some point we'll have a service, and we'll take communion. It's a very important sacrament of the church. What we do is when we break bread, we remember that Jesus' body was broken, right? And when we drink the, the wine or the grape juice or whatever we have at the moment, you know, Capri Sun or, you know, Sunny D or whatever we were memorialized the blood of Jesus that was poured out for us. And Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Speaking of his act of brokenness, right? Jesus was broken. But there's an interesting thought here that maybe it's not just communion. Maybe it's not just the taking of the bread and the taking of the wine to remember the brokenness of Christ. But, but Jesus is actually saying something else here. He's not just saying, go through this ritual or go through this religious act and remember my sacrifice. He's actually saying, no, as I am broken, you also should live broken. That to really memorialize the act of Jesus, as we follow Jesus, we aren't just to to go through religious activities. Okay, I took some bread and I thought about Jesus. No, we are also ourselves to live a life of brokenness to God's purpose. We are also, as we remember what Jesus did, we are not to, to remain whole and self-centered and, and contented with what we are. We are also to let our lives be broken for the purposes of God. Come on, when we remember the act of Jesus, it's not, communion is not just this ritual where we take, eat some bread and drink some wine. No, it's a life of brokenness because that remembers more authentically the sacrifice that Jesus gave. We need to be broken and fully dependent on God. One of my favorite chapters of Scripture is the prayer of David it's a prayer of brokenness and repentance in Psalms chapter 51 a little bit of context David has literally had someone murdered and had an adultery he did not repent he was confronted and finally repents and Psalms 51 is this deep deep prayer of brokenness and repentance and laying it all on the line and it says in Psalms 51 verse 16 you do not desire a sacrifice or i would offer one you do not want a burn offering the sacrifice you desire is a Broken spirit, you will not reject a broken and repentant heart, oh God. Brokenness. God, break me. Lord, break me in the way that this prostitute broke and poured her sinful past and her future provision. God, break me as Jesus was broken. Break me to your purposes. God, break my pride. Break my self-reliance. Break my sinfulness. God, break me down so that I can be built. The foundation truth for this message today is this. Until we are broken, we cannot be built. Until we are broken, we cannot be built. You know, we've spent a lifetime, all of us, building our character, our ego, our self-reliance, our pride, building ourselves up in a sinful way. And until we are broken by the hand of God, we cannot be built by the hand of God. Come on. It, It takes brokenness. Brokenness is what allows God to come in and rebuild and reshape and do something incredible, there has to be brokenness. God, you don't desire a sacrifice, David said. It's great to come in and sing. It's great to lift our hands. It's great to give in the offering. But you know what? That isn't really all that it is. God wants a broken spirit where we come and we say, God, you can have it all. Lord, I'm not holding anything back. I'm broken. God, I'm not depending upon myself. Lord, I'm, I'm broken and I'm poor. I'm, I'm living a life of brokenness before you. Until we are broken, we cannot be built. My pride must be broken. You know, it says in the book of James chapter 4 verse 6, it says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Pride is like spiritual bug spray, and it repels God, okay? When, When I'm proud, what that says is, I don't need you, God. In my spirit, I'm like a beacon that says, don't come over here. Stay away from me. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You could say that, that God draws in those that are humble. When I see my need for God, He's He's already pulling me. But pride is this state of existence that says, I don't need you, God, right? And I must be broken in my pride. I made a joke about the Oregon Ducks last night, you know, that it was breaking down our pride. But you know what? I think all of us Duck fans did leave with a little bit of humility like, hey, you can't just put on fancy uniforms and win football games, right? You actually got to play it on the field. How many of you have ever had these moments in your faith, in your walk, in your life where you think that you're the bee's knees, right? You're just going through life and everything's coming up roses for you. You know, everything you do in business is good and your marriage is good and, or your, your relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend's good. And then all of a sudden, like one day you wake up and it's like Freaky Friday and you don't know who you are and your hair won't go the right direction. And, you know, it's just a weird thing. And all of a sudden, everything's going sideways, and you're like, God, I serve you, I go to church, I gave my offering, and I worshiped, and I sang, you can have it all, and what's happening? And, and our pride gets broken. That's a good thing. Did you know that? Because it pushes us back to our need for God. God, break me of pride. My pride must be broken. Our, our sinfulness must be broken. Our sinfulness. You know, a lot of people, they look at sin as something that is just action by action. Okay, I did a bad thing, that was sin. I did a good thing, that wasn't sin. That's only half the story when it comes to sin. Human sinfulness rooted in the fall of man is also what we call iniquity, meaning that it's not just that we make individual mistakes, but we have a perfect good heart. It means that actually we're rotten to the core, and so the mistakes actually come out of the real us, apart from Christ. One way to look at it, an analogy, is imagine a saw and you're cutting lines in the wood. And a lot of times we think about it like, oh, I, I made a mistake and I cut sideways. But actually, the real picture is that the saw is bent. So no matter which way we cut, it's always off. That's what human sinfulness is. And that's what has to be broken inside of us, that iniquitous root, those things that, that so easily ensnares us. And First John, he talks about this in chapter 2, uh, John, Jesus' disciple. He says, the world offers a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride, in our achievements and possessions. Another translation calls this the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And he says, These are not from the Father, but are from this world. We did a whole series about satisfaction a couple months or a month ago, talking about the, that sin and these things, they don't satisfy us, but that, that sinfulness, that deep rooted, uh, sinful attitude, sinful mindset, sinful state of existence that has to be broken before we can be built in the image of Christ, right? And we can't break ourselves. Other things have to break us. The the Spirit of God has to break us and rebuild us. And then lastly, the thing that has to be broken is our self-reliance and our self-centeredness. And and this is kind of similar to, to pride, but it doesn't always manifest that way. Our self-reliance, I'm counting on myself, I'm counting on my good behavior, or I'm counting on my contributions, I'm counting on myself, or just living for me and not really thinking about others, that also has to be broken. These three areas, pride, sinfulness, self-reliance, they have to be broken before we can be built. Broken before we can be built. And the good news is that God loves us enough to break us. You go, yay! (laughs) Yay! Can I get an amen? No, it's good. Welcome to Joy Church. You're like, why did you call it that? It's not very <laughs> joyful today. No, actually, there's supreme joy in the brokenness that happens in, in a life that's given to Christ. You see that that prostitute, did you know how worth it, it was for her? She was was she giving everything and being broken? Absolutely, but she was receiving Christ. When you have Jesus, you have everything else. Nothing else matters. Just Him. Just just to know Him, just to be with Him, just to To know him. Brokenness. It's a powerful, powerful truth. To be rebuilt, I have to be broken for Christ to come and rebuild me. I want to leave you with four truths of brokenness, and we're going to pray this prayer to, to some whatever level we feel like we can honestly pray it today. Four truths of brokenness. Number one, we impress people with our strengths, but we connect through our weakness. Come on, we, we impress people with our strengths. Oh, you're a great singer. You're a great businessman. You're a great knitter. I don't know, whatever you're strong at. <laughs> you're a great football player. I'm so impressed by you. Oh, you're so strong. You're so beautiful. I'm so impressed by you. How often do we pursue this, right? I want to be great. I want to be good at what I do. I want people to be impressed by my strengths. I want to be the best at what I do. And I want to be excellent. That's okay. It's good to want to be excellent. And you impress people with your strengths, but you connect with people through your weaknesses. You don't connect with somebody when they're like, yeah, I'm good at this. I'm good at that. I'm really good at this. You're like, sweet, deuces. You know, We don't connect with people through our strengths. We impress them. Brokenness, those weaknesses, those areas where there's humility and not pride, it allows us to become closer to God and it allows us to become closer to one another. You know, in my life, there's been many moments of brokenness that I could tell you about, but I remember one particular moment. And my wife and I, we, uh, we didn't have any kids, and Bethany was pregnant. She became pregnant, and uh, we were really excited. And we waited, you know, for a couple of weeks, a lot of weeks, until we told our parents, and then we told our parents it was one of the happiest times to say, hey, we're going to have a baby. And I think Bethany was about three months pregnant at the time. And so we'd really waited. We, it wasn't real early. We, we'd known for a long time. And my parents and Bethany's parents, they bought gifts. And uh, we were really excited. Loved our child that we were going to have. And one Sunday morning before church, Bethany lost the baby. And I remember that it just broke us. And I remember her laying on the bed and I laid next to her, but kind of on on her, I put my head on her stomach. We just mourned. And we were broken. And out of that, connected with my wife at a completely different level. And we had so much compassion for everybody that's lost a child before they were born or even after, it just it broke us. And that, out of that brokenness came compassion for people. Out of that brokenness came connection with people. Out of that brokenness came connection with my wife. And out of that brokenness came connection with God. Because we knew that our child is in heaven with him and then we went and bought a bunch of pizza and a bunch of Jojo's and pigged out because that's also what you do when you're broken right but we connect with people through our strengths I mean we, we impress people with our strengths but we connect through our brokenness and you all have stories of brokenness don't you every one of us does moments in life when that is the only thing that looms on your horizon and we're so blessed. We've had, we now have three beautiful children. Evie, is. she just turned five. Jack just turned three. And Penny is one. And they're amazing. They're incredible. Uh, but we always remember that, that first baby that we had. And uh, it's a moment of connection through weakness, through brokenness. When we're broken, God can use that. Number two, your most effective ministry will come out of your deepest hurts. Your most effective ministry will come out of your deepest hurts. I could tell you a million stories about this year and the deep hurts and years before and deep hurts and times in life when there was just brokenness. And, and you know what comes out of that though? Compassion. Because compassion comes from understanding and understanding comes from experience. When you can hold somebody's hand and say, I've been there, I've been broken. Yeah, I was a, I was a cheater, I, I was a liar, I was a drunk, I was a drug addict. Yeah, I was, I was here, I was there, I've been broken. And you look somebody in the eyes and they can see that you have compassion because you know, right? You know, sometimes we can, we can have sympathy for somebody. It's like, oh, I feel, I forget which one it is, if it's sympathy or empathy, somebody can correct me. But one of them is one that you've been there, so you know, right? The other one is like, I feel bad, but I don't understand. But when you've experienced brokenness, when you've experienced pain and suffering... You have understanding. You have that experience. And you know. You think about Jesus. He completely gets it because Jesus experienced brokenness. He experienced relational brokenness. He experienced the brokenness of, uh, of temptation. He experienced physical brokenness. Jesus experienced the brokenness of sin. The Bible says that He literally was made sin. He was made sin for us. You say, well, He doesn't understand. He does understand. The book of Hebrews in chapter 4 tells us that he was tempted in all points as we are. Jesus was tempted in every way. Tempted with greed, tempted with lust, tempted with pride. He was tempted in every way, but yet without sin. Jesus gets it. His body was broken. Come on. He gets it. An effective ministry comes out of deep hurts, comes out of deep brokenness. When you have a time of deep hurt, thank God for it because he he is helping you be shaped to radically impact the lives of people around you. Because the world doesn't need a bunch of cocky, uh, unsympathetic Christians to walk around and go, "Oh, I know what you need to do." We, need, the world needs broken Christians. Not broken in their confidence in Christ, not broken in their security in God, but broken in their pride, yeah. broken in their self-reliance. Come on, broken in their sinfulness. Yeah. The world needs people that they can connect with that can say, "Listen, I'm not perfect. In fact, I can tell you some stories about that. Let me help you find Christ." And hold people by the hand. And as I take the journey, I take somebody with me and say, listen, I can minister to you because I've been there before. And that's why when we say this prayer is dangerous, but it's so powerful. God, will you break me? God, will you grant me the gift of suffering, of brokenness? God, will you allow me to turn those moments that feel the worst into things that will make me better, that will, that will allow me to reach people for you? It's a powerful thing. Number three, when you come to the breaking place, you have a choice. You can either run to God or run away from Him, right? One of the things that happens in broken moments, you know, when Bethany and I lost our, our baby, uh, we could have said, God, what the heck? Where, where were you? You have all the power. Why didn't you do something? And a lot of people get to this place. But we knew the goodness of God. We'd already experienced it. We knew that bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. And our theology was already more mature than, than that level. And so we knew in this breaking point, I can run from God or run to God. And we said, we're going to run to him. You have a choice to make when you come to that breaking place. You can either run to God and accept what's happening and say, God, bring me through this. Or you can run away from him and get farther away. But there's no safety. There's no salvation. There's no hope. There's no peace away from God, right? You're not, there's nothing to find running away from God. And you know, the truth is, we don't really have to pursue breaking moments because breaking moments come in life, right? If you're just living in this world, you're going to have some breaking moments. Can you attest to that, anybody? That moments come, and you don't pick them. You don't choose when it happens, when something goes wrong in your marriage or something goes wrong with your kids or something goes wrong with your health or with your finances. It just happens. But in those moments, we can either embrace that brokenness or we can fight against it, at which point you're still going to be broken, but it's not going to be good. It's like a doctor when a bone sets wrong and they say we have to re-break it so that it sets right. When that brokenness happens, we can embrace it and let that be set clean let it, and let it heal and grow stronger. And number four, life's greatest breakings often lead to God's greatest blessings. Here's the amazing thing. There's been moments in my life including recently where I looked at events and circumstances and said, this is baloney. Nothing good can come out of this. Everything was going sideways. Everything's going upside down. I can't see what's happening. God, I, I, I do the right thing, and the wrong thing happens to me. And God, I, I try to walk in, in your way, and it doesn't work out. And nothing good can come of this. And all of a sudden, one day you wake up, and the clouds part, and you go, oh... This is what God wanted to do. God's greatest blessings are oftentimes on the other side of the greatest breakings. Wherever you're at today, maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time and you've gone through times of breaking, but you've run to God. Hey, Amen, that's, that's awesome. There's blessing on the other side of breaking. You've probably experienced that. But maybe you're here today and you're like, I'm not a Christ follower of Jesus. I came on a bummer message today, you know. But let me just tell you right now, there's a brokenness that comes when we repent and we give our life to Christ. And we say, God, I can't do this on my own. But on the other side of that breaking moment, that act of humility, just to say, God, I can't do this. On, I, I can't do it. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. On the other side of that breaking is God's greatest blessing, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. You are going to go through hard times, whether you know Jesus or not. The difference is when you have Christ, he's holding on to you all the time and he never lets go. In the depths of my deepest breaking moments, I could feel the hand of God upon my life. A father that loves me. A father that was there. A God that could understand what it felt like to be broken because he was broken. A God that could understand and emphasize, emphasize with my weaknesses because he'd experienced them firsthand in the person of Jesus. Come on, it's powerful. God will be with you through everything. And though out of that breaking whether it's a good kind of breaking or a bad kind of breaking or somewhere in between, God can get something amazing out of it and you can grow, you can minister to people, you can impact the world around you because you don't connect through strength. If you've never been broken, you might impress a lot of people, but you're not going to make a big difference in their lives. But a broken person that comes and says, here's what I am, nothing more, nothing less, this is what I can do, and just loves and reaches out to people, that's a powerful, powerful, powerful thing.